It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. I really enjoyed your show. Put the mic down. Either let people call in or play music or do something. Stop just talking. And that's why you're the pro. Come on, talk to me. What's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. What's going and here's some of what's going on this afternoon here in Austin. An officer-involved shooting on 6th Street overnight. And in a separate incident, one person was shot at Barton Creek Mall yesterday afternoon. Just a couple of the local stories that we're following for you right here this afternoon on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Rommeyer with you live and local. Today, a week before Christmas, as always, glad to have you with us on the weekends. On KLBJ. Also today, the latest developments from the Mideast and the status of a bill that's being negotiated in the U.S. Senate this weekend on more border security for the United States on our southern border, along with some military assistance for Israel and Ukraine. We'll have all the latest on that for you on KLBJ. And that's just some of the news that we have for you this afternoon right here. And you can join us, as always, at 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. I have reports from several of the local media outlets, KXAN, KVU, KI. And I'm going to start off with a couple of clips here from this shooting on 6th Street last night. Austin Police Department... Officers responded just before midnight to a report of a person attempting to enter a bar with a gun on the 200 block of East 6th Street. According to KXAN, when officers arrived, an employee of the bar identified the suspect with the gun and, and approached him. That's when the suspect pulled out his gun and pointed it at the officers and innocent bystanders. The interim APD chief, Robin Henderson, uh, tells us what happened next. As officers approached the suspect, the suspect pulled out a firearm and pointed it in the direction of officers and innocent bystanders. And so the officers responded with gunfire, shot the suspect multiple times. Suspect was later pronounced dead at the scene. No officers were injured. Three people inside the bar were hit by the bullets during the incident and were transported to the hospital by EMS. According to KXAN, one is in critical condition, the other two with non-life-threatening injuries. The officers involved who fired their weapons, nine years, 11 years, and 13 years of service with APD, they've been placed on administrative duty, and the body-worn camera footage of, of this incident will be released within 10 days. With the holidays, KXAN says maybe won't see that until right after the first of the year. 
the interim APD chief, Robin Henderson, also answered a question from a reporter from KXAN. The questions along the lines of, were those bystanders in the bar hit by the uh, gunfire from the, the weapons that the APD officers fired? And what about the suspect? Did he fire his weapon and were any of those bullets from the suspect's weapon that hit the innocent bystanders? Here's interim APD chief Robin Henderson in answering those questions. That remains to be seen. There were several shots that were fired and we're still determining that. Did the suspect fire his weapon at all or did the suspect just point it at the officers? There are indications that the suspect discharged his firearm. Okay, so the investigation is ongoing. We still don't know a lot of details. Uh, what we do know, it's yet another shooting down on East 6th Street. Uh, a, a more common occurrence these days in the city of Austin. Wouldn't you agree with that? 512-836-0590. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ have any thoughts on this. Again, the investigation is ongoing. Not a lot of details. This just happened right before midnight last night. We'll bring you more as uh, more information comes to us. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we learned about some plans. And I've got a report here from the Austin Business Journal. There's some, some private investors wanting to do some preservation work. Uh, plan to begin in early January, right? Some major restoration of more than 30 properties there along 6th Street. According to the Austin Business Journal, some of that initial work is going to focus on restoring the facades and the interiors of some of the buildings that have fallen into disrepair. Again, roughly 30 pieces of property there along East 6th Street. So maybe that's a step in the right direction. We've yet to hear, at least so far, I haven't been every place on social media this afternoon, but at least so far, we've not heard from any members of the Austin City Council, any of the APD defunders, or any of the anti-cop activists. Haven't heard any of them stepping forward and taking ownership of more gun violence in our city as a result of, of some of their actions over these last couple of years, right? I'll get to the shooting at the Barton Creek Mall in just a moment. So yeah, so obviously some, some people, some private parties interested in, in trying to see what they can do to improve things on East 6th Street. I found a report from KVU from this summer, late June timeframe, when there was some news about this so-called nightlife establishment accreditation program that was introduced by the city of Austin. And it's all about trying to, I guess, empower the local businesses there to, to do more. In this KVU report, one of the guys that's quoted is Brian Block. He's identified as the nightlife and entertainment manager for the city of Austin's Development Services Department. And, and he was talking about this accreditation program. 
And he said it would be entirely voluntary on the part of those businesses who chose to participate. Here's some of what Ryan Block had to say about this earlier this year. Our goal here is to enhance safety through communication, training, and increased operating standards for bars. He went on to talk about the city's looking at at some kind of grant program that could be used for metal detectors, security cameras, lighting, and, and other measures on the part of the local businesses to try to uh, do something about some of the crime going on there on East 6th Street. Here's more of, of Brian Block. Things like metal detectors, security cameras, lighting, line management tools, ID scanners. So with all that in mind, KVU talked to uh, someone who's been a frequent guest on this radio station, Bob Woody. He's uh, president of the East 6th Street Community Association, and he was asked for some comments about this proposal from the city about some kind of accreditation program and, and trying to give the local businesses more tools to try to do something about the crime element down on East 6th. Here's a little bit of what Bob Woody had to say about all this uh, at that time earlier this year. There's a thought that by putting the onus of this on the club operator, it might get better, but that's not the case. Here's more from Bob Woody in that KVU interview. All we really need to do is go back and correct what city council did wrong, which was do away with police officers and allow lawlessness to take place. Yeah, well, I'll go back to what I said a moment ago. Have we heard from anyone? Local city leadership here, any of the defunders, any of the anti-cop activist crowd stepping forward and and giving us any kind of indication that maybe what Mr. Woody said there is would make practical sense, right? How about some additional law enforcement presence down in the East 6th Street area? I mean, the understanding is DPS is, has been helping down there to try to uh, supplement the uh, APD presence. Is it enough? Do we need more? And are we going to continue to see the kinds of shootings that we saw last night on 6th Street unless something more is done? 512-836-0590. You can give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. So far, the silence is deafening from our so-called city leaders about any of the news that's developing here from downtown over the weekend. And then, of course, there was uh, another shooting, this one at the Barton Creek Mall yesterday afternoon. Shooting happened near the AMC Theater and the Cheesecake Factory. Getting this report from KXAN, police said this is not an active shooter situation. There was no threat to the public. Police quoting here, said this was an isolated incident and an investigation is ongoing. The mall went on lockdown. APD said mall announcements were made before 6 last night telling people they could leave the mall and reports are the uh, the mall is is back open today. Maybe not around the Cheesecake Factory and that movie theater. I'm not sure about that part. There was uh, from KXAN, 
an eyewitness who uh, claimed that, that he saw all of this happen there late yesterday afternoon. Three guys jumped on another guy and were beating him up, and then a guy went in his bag from about 20 or 30 yards across the courtyard and fired two shots, and then they all took off running. But the one guy got hit in his arm. They took him off in the ambulance. I'm surprised I didn't duck off behind the bench I was sitting on, but it just it, it happened that quick. That again, an eyewitness report from KXAN, that shooting at Barton Creek Mall. So there you have it. Some of the latest local news that we're following for you this afternoon here on KLBJ. You are welcome to give us a call or send us a text if you have any reaction to any of this news that's developed just since yesterday here in Austin. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text. We're just getting started. Stay with us here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rommeyer back with you here live and local on News Radio KLBJ. Glad to have you with us. On the weekends, we started out talking about uh, a shooting down on East 6th Street last night. Uh, APD officers involved in that one and a separate incident, a shooting at uh, Barton Creek Mall. You're welcome to join us as we're talking about all of this this afternoon. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Want to give you the latest on what's going on this weekend in Washington, D.C. with respect to the bill that's being negotiated so far, all the actions in the U.S. Senate, as some of the lawmakers that have been huddling on this over the weekend are trying to put together some kind of border security measures to go along with some funding for Ukraine and Israel of a hundred plus a billion-dollar package that's being asked for by the Biden administration. And the White House has said, yeah, we'll, we'll take a look at, at trying to do something in terms of shoring up security on the border. So Washington Post reports that Senate negotiators have been working through the weekend and, and trying to meet a self-imposed deadline of this evening to at least get some kind of framework hammered out that would that would be a general outline of some kind of deal on border security measures and aid package for Ukraine and Israel. Senator James Lankford, who's been very involved in the conversations, his Republican senator from Oklahoma, says we'll need to have some kind of framework by the end of the weekend. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said that he's going to keep the Senate in session this coming week, and negotiators who include Senators Lankford, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, Chris Murphy from Connecticut, on the Republican side, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And their aides, a lot of them were in negotiations with one another Yesterday, the negotiators were planning to get back together today to talk again at the Capitol in person. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of optimism about getting any kind of deal done, at least anytime soon. Minority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell told other Republican senators today 
that there are significant issues that are still under discussion. Said that uh, Lankford and and Murphy, two key senators meeting daily with leadership aides and Biden administration officials. They said, yeah, there's been some progress based on meetings yesterday. Still hoping to put some kind of framework together, as I said before, later on tonight. From Texas, U.S. Senator John Cornyn was out on the Sunday TV news shows today. I think this was on Fox, and he was expressing some doubts that any kind of ongoing Senate negotiations over border policy are going to lead to any legislation that would truly be enacted. So he's not very optimistic. Here's uh, Senator Cornyn, along with some comments from Democrat uh, Senator Coons. I have spoken with a number of the negotiators. They have been working hard this weekend. I am hopeful that we can reach a conclusion this coming week. For the last, uh, well, the years I've been in the Senate for quite a while now, all we've done is talk about it. But now we intend to use this leverage uh, to do something about it. Well, I talked to a couple of the key negotiators yesterday, and uh, they feel like they're making some progress. But I know Senator Schumer thinks there's going to be some deal cut behind closed doors and then jam it through the Senate and then jam the House. That's not going to happen. And then, of course, the House is a whole other ballgame. Speaker Johnson has uh, essentially told members of the House to, to go on home for Christmas. And he was not planning, at least before the weekend, he was not planning on calling them back anytime till after the first of the year. There were a couple of members of the House out on the Sunday TV news shows today. Here's a, a couple of clips. Congressman Ro Khanna, a Democrat from California, and then Congressman Tony Gonzalez from Texas talking about some kind of uh, border security deal along with aid for Ukraine and Israel. We need a secure border. Uh, we need uh, more funding for immigration agents, for the border patrol, and we can have a conversation, but they're not even at the table. The time is now. The time for a national security package is now. In my district, it is pure chaos, and people are upset. They're upset because their lives have been turned upside down. We have to push now. Part of that is, is House Republicans. We can't just wait. We have to yeah. find 218 votes, however we can, and push things over the finish line. One of the key developments that happened right before the weekend was the Democratic governor from Arizona calling out the National Guard and putting National Guard troops down on the border. Much like Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been doing now for many months. We've heard a lot of criticism of the Texas governor for what he's been doing. I've I've been watching the news all weekend. I've, I've yet to see any critics come forward to, uh, to, to criticize what the Democrat governor has done there in Arizona. Have you seen any criticism along those lines? Uh, why would that be? Why would, why would Abbott get all the criticism and then the, the governor of Arizona does essentially the same thing, not to the scale that uh, the Texas governor has done it, at least not so far, but she was expressing concerns that the, the situation down on the southern border, down on the state border there, is out of control and frustrated 
that there's been no reimbursements forthcoming requests from Arizona to the White House for some additional funds to help with all this. And, and so far, nothing. So a lot of frustration there in Arizona, just like many of us here in Texas have been experiencing for quite some time. And then you kind of, you wonder what's after three years and millions of illegals that have streamed across the border over that amount of time, what's, what's finally brought the White House to a day of reckoning here, if there is going to be one in terms of additional legislation for more border security? So you got to like this headline out of the New York Times. This was yesterday. The headline, Biden's border negotiations mark seismic shift on immigration politics. And then the subheadline, polls suggest there is growing support even inside Biden's own party for border measures once championed by Donald Trump. Think what an incendiary headline that is amongst those on the left and the Democrats. To think that the polling data suggests there's growing support even inside the Democrat Party for border measures once championed by former President Donald Trump. I mean, that's heresy, right? To be saying that kind of stuff. And yet, New York Times report, it's the latest sign of how drastically the politics of immigration have shifted here in the United States. Polls suggesting growing support, the president's own party, for measures once denounced by the Democrats. And so the New York Times reports it's a gamble for the president to potentially walk away from some of his so-called deeply held principles on on the border of, of the Democrat Party and pointing to the vulnerability, political and otherwise, of our southern border. We'll have more on this and a lot more. Stay with us here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rommeyer back with you here on a Sunday afternoon, live and local for you on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekends. I want to pick up on a story you just heard out of our Fox News update there on the half hour about a U.S. warship shooting down 14 suspected attack drones over the Red Sea yesterday. Believed that the Houthi rebels were targeting commercial ships with those drones that were shot down. They've launched a series of attacks over the recent uh, days and weeks. And coming into this weekend, we saw reports about the Biden administration facing mounting pressure, at least from the right, to hit back harder on the steady uptick of attacks on U.S. forces all around the Mideast, not just there in the Red Sea, but elsewhere. And I think what I've seen, it's, it's around 100 or so attacks now total, right, from the roughly mid-October time frame on uh, Americans and, and troop locations in, in various places around the Mideast, in addition to the uh, attacks on some of the commercial uh, shipping lanes there. And it makes me wonder, as we're around 100 or so attacks, what's, does the administration, does this president, weak and timid as he is, on all things foreign policy related, 
Is there a magic number, Mr. President? I mean, a lot of us in the United States who don't like to just be a punching bag, and I'm sure those troops, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure the troops on the ground that are being fired upon have been now for many weeks and weeks. You'd like to think they'd probably like to respond in some way, right? So the reports are that the United States doesn't want to disrupt any peace process. And the Houthis are, are taking advantage of that position now, knowing they can do whatever they want because they believe the United States is, is not going to respond. I saw a report over the weekend that the Israel's Mossad spy agency director met with the prime minister of Qatar late Friday night, and discussions were going on over the weekend, the potential for another pause and potentially some more hostages being released. Haven't seen a lot more about that as the weekend has gone along, but those discussions were underway at the start of the weekend. We know that American and British warships continue to shoot down the drones And we know that three more U.S. Navy destroyers have moved into the Mediterranean Sea over the last week or so as uh, the U.S. is is beefing up our presence there in that region. Now, is that because we're fixing to do something? Is that because our so-called international partners have yet to step up and provide any additional security there in the Red Sea or any of those other uh, key shipping lanes over around the Mediterranean. We don't know. We'll have to see if anything else develops on that. But as I just gave you the story about the Biden administration facing mounting pressure, at least from the right, to hit back harder on all these attacks on U.S. forces, we saw this from... Politico this weekend, the top Biden administration officials are now actively weighing options to strike back at the Houthi rebels in Yemen. As a result of those new attacks on the naval and commercial ships in the Red Sea yesterday, Politico reports the military has provided options to commanders in the Mideast to strike back at the Houthis. This report says a significant uptick in attacks in recent days could potentially lead top U.S. national security officials to change their calculus about whether the United States should respond more forcefully or not. All this as the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff are both traveling to the Mideast this week. Defense Secretary Austin scheduled to meet with leaders in Israel, Bahrain, and Qatar. And the uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman, General Brown, scheduled to join Defense Secretary Austin in Israel. So... Will anything come out of those discussions? Is there anything in the planning? I get it. If they don't want to tell us, they'd like to have the element of surprise, I suppose, with the bad guys. 
And I guess only time is going to tell if there will be any new details hashed out of any kind of military responses to what's been going on there in the Mideast from the Iran proxies, the, the Houthi rebels and others. 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. We also know that part of what Defense Secretary Austin wants to, to do in terms of his agenda as he meets with Israel's defense uh, ministers and with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is to try to detail how the, as I'm quoting here from some articles this weekend, how to detail how and when Israeli forces are going to carry out a new phase of their war in Gaza there. American officials envision this would involve smaller groups of elite forces, those forces moving in and out of population centers in Gaza, primarily southern Gaza at this point, and conducting more precise intelligence-driven missions to find and kill Hamas leaders, to rescue hostages, and destroy tunnels. That's what's on the agenda for Defense Secretary Austin and the chair of the Joint Chiefs as they meet with their counterparts there in Israel. Anything going to come out of that? And will Netanyahu and the Israelis sign up for what what appears to be being shoved at them as a more sanitized war, if that's possible. As I just mentioned, the administration's agenda here is to try to say, hey, Israel, you got to have more elite forces involved here, more strategic intelligence-driven missions, more precise missions to take out the Hamas leaders and to rescue the hostages. All that sounds good, right? But in the fog of war, is it that easy to pull that off? 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Meantime, the World Health Organization is warning this weekend that the healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. And World Health Organization says there are worrying signals of epidemic diseases that are emerging. Everything from staph infections to chicken pox to rashes, meningitis, mumps, measles, food poisoning, all on the rise, according to doctors with the Gaza Health Ministry. And so the infrastructure uh, continues to deteriorate there in Gaza, health-related infrastructure and otherwise. And in the meantime, you still have some administration officials proposing that the old Palestinian Authority try to get back involved, reactivate members of its security forces in Gaza, and begin making preparations for a local security and police force for Gaza once the conflict is over. We continue, though, to hear Israel, Netanyahu in particular, the prime minister, say this thing is not going to be over for months. And so the challenges continue there in the Mideast. 512-836-0590. If you have a thought on that, you can give us a call or send us a text here 
on KLBJ. When we come right back, some presidential politics, even though we're still almost a year away from the elections, and and some other news as well. Stay with us here on KLBJ. And we're back with you here on a Sunday afternoon, week away from Christmas on News Radio KLBJ. Kenny Romeyer with you. Glad to have you with us as always on the weekends. Well, might as well talk a little presidential politics here. Haven't gotten any, uh, haven't gotten any hate mail lately, so I'm sure if I rail on Trump a little bit, that ought to take care of that. So what am I going to be talking about there? Former President Trump had uh, had a big rally in New Hampshire yesterday, and I'll I'll let you listen to a little bit of of what he had to say. One of the comments in particular is getting a whole lot of attention today, unnecessarily so, it's as happens so many times, the former president brings it all on himself. He steps in it on his own. Some would say that's by design. I don't know. I think strategically there could have been a better path, but I'll leave that up for you to decide after we talk about it here. First, here's a little bit of what Trump said at this big rally in New Hampshire yesterday that has gotten so much negative attention. I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country. When they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world they're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. They're pouring into our country. Nobody's even looking at them. They just come in. Uh, the crime is going to be tremendous. The terrorism is going to be. Terrorism is going to be. And then we built a tremendous piece of the wall, and then we're going to build more. All right. So obviously he's talking about immigration there. And, and the key phrase, as the immigrants are coming in, he accused him of poisoning the blood of our country. Now, of course, tremendous backlash from the White House and virtually everyone else, mainly on the Democrat side, but talking about the Trump sounding like Adolf Hitler, right, during in the Mein Kampf book and, and all the rest. And so, of course, former President Trump's not listening to me for any advice, but here is the, here is the opportunity that he had. And he squandered it because he stepped on it. I just read you a piece from the New York Times. The, the headline here, polls suggest growing support even inside Biden's own party for border measures once championed by Donald Trump. All the former president had to do was simply reference the negotiations that are taking place now in the U.S. Senate with respect to some border security measures for Ukraine and Israeli aid. And and say, can you believe it? After three years, after millions of illegals have crossed our border, after, you know, who knows how many thousands have been bussed and flown around to locations all around our country. Cities like New York City, Chicago, and others, they're 
socio uh, safety nets ripping at the seams because of the disastrous sanctuary city policies from some of these blue cities, certainly disastrous uh, immigration policy from the administration and, and all of that. And he said, look, they're, they're putting security measures in place trying to get us back to where I had this country when I left office. They are essentially saying, as they're negotiating this deal, don't know what the final outcome is going to be, but they're essentially saying that Trump was right on border immigration policies. He could have taken the high ground. He could have taken credit for the way things are going in the Senate on, on this bill that's being negotiated for the direction that the country is going. You know, dismal poll numbers for the president on this front. The poll numbers suggest that more people would prefer what Trump had going on with immigration than what Biden's got going on with immigration. All those positives he could have talked about, he could have taken credit for. Not like he's shy about taking credit for stuff, right? And what does he do? He throws out the toxic, poisoning the blood of our country line that gives all of his critics, opponents and others, the prime opportunity just to pile on and, and start you know, talking about uh, comparisons with Hitler and all that. So he brought it on himself. He didn't have to do it. He could be getting positive headlines out of all of this. Instead, he's found a way to get negative headlines on some positive developments that he could point to and say, look at this. They said Trump was right after all. But that's not how he played it. So we'll see what happens going forward. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text. Have any thoughts on that? Of course, Trump's still comfortably ahead in Iowa by wide margins. Nikki Haley is... is um, consolidating some of the non-Trump vote there in New Hampshire. She's, she's picking up some ground, but still far behind Trump. She's leaving the likes of DeSantis and Christie in the dust at this point. The latest CBS News YouGov poll shows 29% of Republican primary voters there in New Hampshire would vote for Haley. But 44% said they would back Trump. So she's still got a lot of ground to make up, but she's certainly getting some support. She's making some headlines herself. In fact, she was on ABC's This Week program. Jonathan Carl was the one doing the interviewing, and he kept asking her uh, to respond to, you know, Trump did this, Trump said that. And she finally said, you know what? I've had enough of this, and I think others have as well. Jonathan, here she is. I mean, he's running on retribution. He wants to go out, and he talks about annihilating his enemies and using the criminal justice system to do so. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that? You guys are exhausting. You're exhausting in your obsession with him. The thing is, the normal people aren't obsessed with Trump like you guys are. The normal people care about the fact that they can't afford things. They feel like their freedoms are being taken away. They think government's too big. 
I know y'all want to talk about every single word he says and every single tweet he does. That's exactly why we need a new generational leader. Because people don't want to hear about every word a person says or every tweet. They want to know how you fought for them that day. And they want to know how their life is going to be different. And life would be a whole lot different if the media would stop this obsession with Trump. Going to glom on that. And and um, others are going to be asked to respond, candidates like Nikki Haley and others. And so wishful thinking, I think, on her part to uh, to think the media is going to just ignore some of the uh, some of the stuff that uh, Trump continues to say on a daily basis. So we'll see how that plays out. A couple other things I want to get to here before we run out of time this afternoon, and I won't be able to do this topic justice. I mean, if you're talking anything related to mental health, you need hours and hours, not just a matter of minutes, right? I mean, it's such a pervasive challenge, a pervasive tragedy in our country these days, the lack of mental health for those that really need it. And, and so we know that the Texas legislature earlier this year passed a bill that would let public schools hire school chaplains. And this idea has has gained some traction. Uh, According to one article I've got here, it says that uh, this issue is actually now prime for a nationwide push, essentially because of the lack of mental health resources in our schools. The Texas legislature said, well, okay, let's see if we can kind of shoot the gap here. And how about letting the schools hire school chaplains. Well, so immediately you get some who are, who are pushing back on this now and said, oh my gosh, you're going to turn, going to turn our schools into, or turn them over to the religious zealots, I suppose, right? The liberals are concerned that the chaplains are going to go in and, and begin trying to convert the, the young people they're working with, I suppose. Now, granted, the law that was approved didn't outline a lot of detail here about the chaplain's role, about any specific training requirements and that kind of thing. The legislators left that up to the individual school districts to work out those details themselves and whether they're even going to pursue these kinds of programs or not. I guess the point I wanted to make here quickly why not give it a try? I mean, Texas, you take a look nationwide, take a look at what's going on in our state. We are near the bottom in terms of mental health resources and access to mental health services, not only for, for kids in school, but for adults as well. I mean, Texas is just way behind the curve. There's been some telehealth programs that are coming into play, not just here in Texas, school districts around the state, but also around the country. I mean, telehealth is one way to bring valuable resources into a school setting. Now, granted, it's virtual and it's online and the, the, the people are not there in person. Nevertheless, better than nothing, right, to try to give some help to some of the kids that, that need help. And so my point is, with this chaplain program, with telehealth and that, I mean, so many 
are saying we're sorely lacking in mental health resources. Why not kind of an all-of-the-above strategy to try to shoot the gap and do something about this? I mean, it's a pipe dream to think you're ever going to be able to hire enough mental health professionals to really help out and to do the job that needs to be done, it seems to me. So sad to see that just as the schools have yet to vote if they're going to participate in these chaplain programs, what the roles are going to be and all the rest, immediately the anti-religious crowd comes in and says, oh my gosh, we can't have this, even though it might help the kids. I guess that's a non-starter for many. We'll see. Something else that I found pretty interesting this weekend, you've heard about the, uh, of course, the Biden administration has been trying to give everybody a pass, anybody that had a student loan, right? They wanted to cancel up to $400 billion in student debt. The Supreme Court canned that part of the Biden administration's agenda. And so the president has still found a way to uh, get rid of over $120 billion in student debt so far for more than three and a half million borrowers. So the story comes out this weekend, 40% of student loan borrowers missed their first student loan payments. They were supposed to start up again, of course, after COVID, right? Been paused for three years. Now we learn the Undersecretary of Education has said, well, a lot of these people had to make payments in October. Yeah, they missed them. A lot of people are making first time payments. So. We're going to try to do something about it. We've created a 12-month on-ramp period for to help people who have been missing their initial payments. I, you know, this administration is going to keep trying and keep trying to where these people are not going to have to pay anything. It's unbelievable what's going on there. Out of time, the Greyhound Bus Network is closing stations all around the country. Where is Transportation Secretary Buttigieg? We ask that question as we exit today. Thank you to Garrett for your help today. Thanks for listening. The news is coming up next on KLBJ.